Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples came to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray that by your Spirit now, we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I sound a bit groggy this morning. It's because I just got back from a men's silent retreat over the weekend. For 36 hours, we had 55 men from the church get quiet, be silent before God. It, it was an amazing miracle to behold. But as I told the men this morning, as we closed at the retreat center with Eucharist, and actually I see some of the men around the room, they followed my direction. I said, you got to come to church. I said to them, on this World Mission Sunday, you can see it on the front of your bulletin, World Mission Sunday, just remember that all this work that God has been doing on you the last 36 hours, it's not just for you. God has been doing this work on you for the sake of the world. And so it is for all of us as disciples of Jesus. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are being discipled by him, growing in the gospel, that growth is not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. We are all always on mission. And it is World Mission Sunday. One of the amazing additions to our 2019 Book of Common Prayer, our prayer book, an addition from previous versions is we added in a Sunday in the church year for world mission, this second to last Sunday before Lent. This is World Mission Sunday every year. And it's wonderful we have this every year because it's that reminder that we as the people of God are always on mission. And I know every time we come to these kind of Sundays, we think, oh no. Mission Sunday, Evangelism Sunday. What are we going to do with this? How guilty am I going to feel when I leave? I'm not doing enough for Jesus. That's not what God says to us in his word today. What we hear in Matthew 28, if you're with me in your Bibles or the Pew Bibles or your phones, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, what we see here is an incredible word of good news. Not a guilt trip, no cajoling, Disciples don't need to be cajoled into mission. Disciples just need to understand how mission works. See, the good news we see here in Matthew 28, the great commission, as we call it, 
this sending us out on mission, it's good news. Now, it's not gonna sound like good news at first, so bear with me, okay? So by the end, it's good news. But here's the good news about mission on this World Mission Sunday. The good news about mission is the mission before you is enormous. It's enormous. Bigger than you can imagine. But, not only is it enormous, the good news is that this mission, being enormous, has you being very 11-ish. I'm gonna explain what 11-ish means in a second. I'll just give you a hint. It means you're totally inadequate. It's an enormous mission, and we are totally 11-ish, totally inadequate. I'll explain that in a second. But here's the good news. The mission is enormous. We are totally 11-ish and inadequate, and yet we have everything we need. We have everything we need to be on mission. See, we got to start with the enormity of the mission. Jesus says, in verse 19, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus is effectively saying, I want you to go everywhere to everyone and teach them everything that I've commanded you. It's enormous. Everyone, everywhere, I love in Acts chapter 1, our first reading today, we see in verse 8, in Luke's version of the ascension and the commissioning, what does Jesus say? He says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And missiologists and pastors for generations have actually seen those four locations as kind of a picture of the breadth of mission that's in front of each of us as Christians. Jerusalem, well, that's right here, right? The Jews are in Jerusalem. They're right there. They are in Jerusalem when this happens. So that means your family. Mission begins in your family with the people you live with. That's a mission location. That's a mission focus. You're on mission with your family. Some of us, that's maybe the scariest thing of all, to be on mission with our family. But then there's not just Jerusalem, but there's Judea, which is the region in which Jerusalem is. So this is our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the people in our network of influence. Jerusalem is our family. Judea is our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Samaria, well, that's the border community. We don't know those people so well. Let's be honest, we don't always like those people so well. That's the broader local community. That's the city in which we've been planted, all of the people around us. You don't know them yet. God will find a way for you to get to know them. That's Samaria. But the final mission location is not just Jerusalem, family, Judea, neighbors and friends, Samaria, your local community, but the ends of the earth. Well, what's the ends of the earth? It's the ends of the earth. It's Rwanda, it's Singapore, it's Brazil, it's Chicago. It's places that are far from you. And each of us are called. We're called to be on mission in all those places. You don't kind of get to pick your top 
two. Like, well, I'll, I'll go with uh, my neighbors and uh, maybe my city, but I'm going to ignore my family and ignore the, the ends of the earth. That's not the call. We're called to actively live into participating in all these arenas. And I'll tell you, this is why I'll skip to the end of the sermon. I give a five-minute version to the men. Uh, I said, you got to come to the real full church services to get the full version. I'll just give you the five-minute version. Some of you are wishing you get the five-minute version. But just to skip to where I'm going to go at the end, it's a wonderful thing we do this not alone. We do this together. It's not suggesting that you need to be a missional expert in your family and with your friends and in your community locally and in the globe. You are doing it together as part of the church. But we need to have that focus. That's why I'm glad we call it World Mission Sunday. It captures the whole world. We're all called to that enormous mission. You see how enormous it is? It gets even more enormous when you read verse 19, teach them everything. Everything I've commanded you. Everything. You know, it's interesting about teaching everything, living out everything that Jesus commanded us is we're going to instantly start running into problems in the world. Why? Because the world's so bad. Yes and no. The reality is we're in a competition of discipleship. The world is constantly discipling the world. The world is constantly baptizing people into the world. And we are discipling and baptizing the world into something different. We're calling them to something that is going to stand often in opposition to even our best intentions. I mean, the problem is so often because we live in this world, we're soaking in this world with its own values and its own sense of how the world works. We think we know how the world works. We think we know how we work. We think we know so much. We are so, so not as smart as we think we are. Isn't it true? So often we can think we just got it all together. We're so not that smart. It's like the barber. He was in the barber shop and he's got the guy in the chair, the client in the chair, and he's cutting his hair. And the kid walks in the door and he, barber leans over to the client and says, watch this. This is the dumbest kid you've ever met. He goes, okay. And he walks up, the barber walks up to the kid and hands him a, shows him a dollar bill and two quarters and said, which do you want? And the kid takes the two quarters and leaves the shop. Barbara says, see, dumbest kid you've ever met, right? You know, a couple hours later, the client sees the kid walking out of an ice cream shop, licking his ice cream cone. And the client says to the kid, he says, you know, what gives kid? You know, why'd you pick the two quarters? He said, it's easy. The day I take the dollar bill, the game is over. (laughs) We're not as smart as we think we are. Everything. Teach everything. Everything that Jesus commanded. This is the problem that we're seeing in our world again and again as the church caves in to the pressures of the world. We saw that this week with the Church of England. I know some of you came to church today specifically to hear me talk about the Church of England. You'll be disappointed. I'm not going to talk much about it. Some of you are hoping I don't talk about the Church of England. You'll be disappointed. I'm going to talk about it a bit. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You are blessed. The difficulties in the Church of England, like so many other churches in the West, caving into cultural pressures, have this week officially abandoned a biblical view of human sexuality. Now, here's the difficulty thing. We all struggle with this. 
We all struggle with sexuality. We all struggle with biblical sexuality. We all struggle with this issue in our lives, in our families. We have neighbors, we have friends, ourselves. This is a hard topic in our world to talk about. And I would argue that most of the bishops in England making this change are doing it as they intend out of an act of compassion. They're trying to be compassionate. They're saying, well, it's just time for us to be really compassionate. Here's the problem. In doing so, they're not telling the truth. It's not compassion when it becomes a lie. And you may say, well, that's really arrogant to say. I'm talking about the lies they made at their ordination and consecration. The bishops and the priests, but the bishops are the ones in charge. The bishops vow that they will banish and drive away all strange and erroneous doctrine contrary to God's word. They promise that before God and the church. And when we change, when we detract or subtract from everything that Jesus teaches, even what is hard in our world, and needs to be taught with compassion and love and kindness. And oh, how the church has so often not taught with kindness and compassion and love. And we need to repent of those things. But the bishops who will subtract from the everything of what Jesus teaches in the scriptures need to repent of that or resign. You may be asking yourself, what do we do with the Church of England? Let me just say two things this morning. And then you can send me long emails two things. When someone asks you or you want to ask me, like, what do, how do we relate to the Church of England? Just remember this. Number one, though the Church of England is historically the root of Anglicanism, we have incredible saints that have come out of England. I mean, those stories are amazing. I can't wait to take so many of you to England and tell those stories and walk you around England. Cuthbert and Anselm and, and, and Bede and these incredible saints, Julian of Norwich, incredible faithful Christians over the ages. Though that is our heritage and our history, they're no longer the center of the Anglican communion. I mean, let's be clear. We are in America after all. We haven't been a colony for a long time of the Brits. This role of England standing in a place of primacy can no longer remain if England abandons the gospel. The global south has not forgot the gospel. Rwanda has not forgot the gospel. Nigeria has not forgot the gospel. Thanks be to God, we have not forgotten the gospel. So I'll say that. So how do we relate? Well, we're trying to relate. We'll figure it out. It's a messy family situation. The second thing I'll say is this. Whenever someone wants to talk to you about these hot button cultural issues, let's talk about human sexuality. From a missional standpoint, we need to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get baited into talking about symptoms when the real conversation should be around underlying diseases, right? I mean, if you go to the doctor's office and all he does is he or she just treats the symptoms, you're going to say, you're a terrible doctor. I need you to treat the underlying disease. What's the underlying disease? The symptoms around abandonment of teaching of scripture, those are symptoms around human sexuality and a whole host of other things that Church of England bishops and many others have abandoned for years. Those are symptoms of a deep disease, which is the abandonment of the authority of God's word. The minute we say that God's word, the scriptures are no longer the root and base and foundation of our faith and life and practice, 
That's the disease. The symptoms emerge. Deal with the disease and the symptoms will be cured. What am I talking about? Let me, let me give you an example. Personal, okay? A couple of years ago, we were on that big, long RV trip. Some of you remember that story? Like we were in that RV for days, 30 days with a family of six in an RV. No, we're never doing it again. <laughs> but I'm going to get so much homiletical content out of it. But at one point, we're somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And one of my kids says, Dad, can we talk about human sexuality in the church? Monica looks at me like, here we go. And I said, okay. I said, I said, do you all want to talk about it? All four of my daughters. Yes, let's talk about it. Right? Because everyone's talking about it. Everyone is struggling with these issues. And so I said, all right, we can talk about it, but I've got a couple caveats. If we're going to have a conversation with this, you need to understand it's going to be a long conversation. This is not a five-minute conversation. I'm not even going to begin this if in five minutes you're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm done. you got to commit to the long haul here. They said, okay. And I said, and you got to realize this is probably going to push some buttons and there's going to be some, some offensive stuff here. And they said, okay. And I said, and I'm probably going to talk a lot. And I, they said, okay. They're used to that. <laughs> so for two and a half hours, I told the story Wednesday night, two and a half hours, we talked about the Bible's view of human sexuality. But here's the key. We only talked about human sexuality for the last 15 minutes. For two hours and 15 minutes, we talked about why the Bible is reliable, why the scriptures can be believed, why the gospel is something we have to put our trust in. Because if we don't have that foundation, if the Bible is not authoritative and reliable, then none of the Bible's teachings are gonna matter. As, as C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true is of infinite importance, what it cannot be is moderately important. For two hours and 15 minutes, I had the opportunity to share with my girls all the reasons why I believe that the gospels are the most reliable eyewitness account of the story of Jesus of Nazareth and what he really did and how he really died on the cross and how he really rose from the dead and it's documented and there's evidence behind it and we can believe it and there's consistency and coherence in the story and the early church went to death being told all you need to do is acknowledge that you made this up and they didn't because they didn't make it up. It really happened. And all of a sudden, I can say to my girls, if it's true that a man really came and died for your sins and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, then we better pay attention to everything he said. And here's some things he said about human sexuality because he is the word of God. So we're talking Genesis through Revelation. This is what Jesus has said. Acts chapter 17, verse 31. So that God has appointed a man who will judge the earth. And of this, he has given evidence by raising that man from the dead. This event in human history declares that if Jesus rose from the dead, if it's a reliable account, then we have got to pay attention to what he says. As hard as everything is, he teaches we must submit ourselves to it. You know, it's interesting. Jesus didn't promise us that it would be easy on mission. You've heard me say this quote before. I think we need it in the bookstore on a, on a t-shirt. It's a William Barclay quote. 
it says that Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be constantly or completely fearless, they'd be absurdly happy, and they'd be in constant trouble. That's on the front of the shirt. I think on the back of the shirt, we then put Jesus' own words from John 16, In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. The mission we have is enormous. Everyone, everywhere, with everything Jesus taught. That's the call. But it's even harder because we are 11-ish. What do I mean by 11-ish? Well, look at verse 16. We're told that the disciples, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And you got to stop right there and say, how many disciples? 11. Up to this point, it's always been 12. What's happened? Why are there 11 disciples now all of a sudden? Judas happened. Defection within the ranks. Horrible betrayal and death. Oh, but the 11 that are left over, they're not much better. Peter denied him three times. They all ran away. John alone remained with Jesus at the cross. But just give John five minutes. Trust me, he's a son of thunder. He will do something stupid. They are all very fallible. They're all very imperfect. They're all very broken. They're all very, as Dale Bruner says, 11-ish. And we know what it feels like to be 11-ish, to be inadequate, to not be able in our own strength to do this work. It's interesting, verse 17 also says that they're doubtful. You know, you read verse 17 in the English and it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted, but it probably translates better to say, when they saw Jesus raised from the dead, they had some worship and some doubt mixed together. They're all struggling. They're all fallible. They're all 11-ish. And if you don't feel like you're 11-ish when you think about the mission God has placed before you, then you don't understand the mission placed before you and me. We're 11-ish. We're fallible. We're imperfect. We're uneven performers. And God, in his grace, calls us to be on mission. He does it again and again. Look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. What does he say when God calls him? Jeremiah 1.5. He says, I cannot speak. I am but a youth. And God says, before I formed you in the womb, I appointed you a prophet. Moses says, I can't speak. I stutter. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Jonah just runs away. God continually calls imperfect, fallible, 11-ish people to be his missionaries. You're no different. God is in this habit of using the weak things of the world to shame the wise. Why? Because then he's gonna get the glory. He's doing it. Which brings me to my third point. Here's the reality of mission. The good news is that we are on a mission that's enormous. Everyone, everywhere, everything Jesus taught, everything. We're 11-ish but we have everything we need. We have everything we need. Why? Because of the one who sends us. It's amazing what Jesus says here in verse 18 and 19. It's very specific. The grammarians in the room are gonna love this. You gotta pay attention 
to a little word between verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority, exousia, power, executive authority, the ability to get things done, all authority. He's saying, I am the CEO of the universe. I am the pantocrator of the cosmos. I have all the power. It's the image we get from Daniel. Chapter seven, when the, you know, when the ancient of days is on his throne and there comes one like a son of man, Jesus' favorite self-description, the son of man, one like a son of man is presented before God, the ancient of days, and to him was given dominion and power and authority and a kingdom that shall never pass away. All authority, Jesus says, is mine. All ability is mine. And then he says, in verse 19, and here's your mission. Go do this crazy, impossible, enormous thing. But there's a word in the middle. Between Jesus telling us about his authority and telling us our mission, there's a word, therefore. And whenever you see in scripture a therefore, you've got to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, that's right. What is the therefore, therefore? The grammarians love this. There connected clauses, dependent clause. The second clause depends on the first. That's what it means. The therefore means that everything that happens in verse 19 is dependent on what happens in verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, I've got all authority. Verse 19 says, go do this impossible thing. And suddenly that little word therefore contains the entire power of the gospel. Because it means that we do not go in our own strength. We do not go trying to make 11-ish be enough or by reducing the scope of the mission to an 11-ish sized mission. That's what we often do. I mean, I love how Trevor Walters, one of the bishops in our church says, you know, this is often how we pray. We say, Lord, would you decrease the severity of my circumstances so that my lack of faith will be sufficient? <laughs> Instead, this one little word, therefore, tells us that all the authorities in Jesus and therefore we can be on this impossible mission even 11-ish that we are. Isn't it fascinating that God takes imperfect, fallible, 11-ish people, imperfect, and through us performs his perfect will. To God be the glory. You know, I saw that this week, this last week when I was in England, you know, hope for England, hope for our world, sitting in the pub in the hotel in Stratford-upon-Avon. That is the coolest phrase I think I've ever said in the pulpit. I was sitting in a pub in the hotel in Stratford-upon-Avon, just down from the Royal Shakespeare Company. I love being an Anglican. I can say I was in the pub. I was in the pub, <laughs> and I was prayer journaling. I had my prayer journal, and I'm just sitting there at about 11 o'clock at night writing my prayer journal. And I, this is the key to the story. I had done this socially clear statement of putting my earbuds in, right? You know what that means. Like you're on an airplane, you're at a coffee shop. This means I don't want to see you, talk to you, leave me alone. If you don't know that, I just helped you out in some of your situations. You're like, oh, that's the problem. So yet yeah, this is indicating leave me alone. I get a tap on the shoulder. Pull out the earbuds with that kind of look of disgust, like, do you not see that I have earbuds in my ears? And this guy says, what are you doing? 
And I said, I'm journaling. He said, what are you putting in your journal? And I said, I'm putting prayers. He goes, those are prayers? I said, yep. He goes, you got a lot of prayers in there. I said, yeah, I, I, I pray a lot. He goes, can I look at your prayers? <laughs> yes, yes, you can. You can look at my prayers. He goes, that's amazing. And he walks away and I thought, okay, thank God. Going back, the whole point is here, I'm not really acting on mission, okay? This is like fallible, imperfect. Like I'm not thinking, how can I evangelize the bar? I'm putting the headphones back in. He comes back, taps on my shoulder again. He wants to introduce me to all his friends. Look at this guy, he's writing in a journal. He's praying, he's writing prayers to God. Do you go to church? Yeah, yes, I go to, I didn't respond with the accent. Yes, I go to church. Suddenly it turns out there are a bunch of Land Rover executives. There's some conference. These are big wig executives from Land Rover. Like the whole European Land Rover branch is there. I've got the entire branch standing next to the bar and they never bought me a drink. But anyway, but I stand next to the bar asking me about my prayer journal. And at the end of three hours, three hours, We've talked about church and Jesus and salvation and a whole bunch of other weird stuff they wanted to talk about and about finding a good church where they could actually hear the gospel. And I prayed with one of them before I left that night. I share this not in any way to prop up my ability as an evangelist. I was in a bad mood, in a bad place and didn't want to talk to anyone. And what happened? God got it done. Because this is what it means that all authority in Jesus is now commanding us. And yes, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. We're on mission. But it's not a guilt trip. It's a promise. I'm going to get it done through you. Oh, how we fight him on this. Oh, how we struggle against him. But Jesus is determined to get his mission done. If we focus on our limitations, we will always want to shrink the size of the mission. But if we focus on him and his authority, we can begin to believe the size of this mission. It's World Mission Sunday. In a few moments, I'm going to talk about what we've done the last year. I'm going to talk about our Rwanda work this year ahead. But World Mission Sunday comes every year to remind us that we are all always on mission. And it's not a guilt trip and there's no cajoling involved. It's a declaration of good news. This mission is enormous. You are 11-ish and yet we have everything we need because of the one who sends us. Because he cares more about the mission than we do. And he is determined to complete it. Oh, and by the way, that where I was going to end. We're not alone. We're not alone in two cents. One sense, we're doing this together, like I said at the beginning. There's that wonderful word that often gets dropped out of the English translations, the modern English translation. Remember the old King James? All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go ye, make disciples, right? Go ye. 
The thing about that ye is it's a you that's hard to translate in English because it's plural. It doesn't mean you, you individually. Oh, the whole mission's on me. No, it's something that Texans understand how to say. Y'all, or we've met her, all y'all. Go, all y'all. We're doing it together. You don't have to land the plane. You don't have to get on the air. Well, be, let me, I'm mixing metaphors. You don't have to get on the airplane with the stranger you meet who's part of like Samaria or ends of the earth for you. And you don't have to be like, okay, well, I'm on mission. So I need to somehow tell them the entire gospel and be able to say the sinner's prayer with them before we land. Like some of us can do that. Not many can. That's a particular call. Your job is to do what you are empowered to do. Plant the seed, be the next bead in the line and watch what God does through all y'all on mission together. Okay, so we're not alone and we're not alone in the sense that, verse 20, lo, I am with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I close with this. I know I've gone long. I don't care. <laughs> it's World Mission Sunday. Come on. And you're like, you do this every Sunday. But he's with us. It's the good news. It's the incredible good news that God does not leave us. Jesus is with us on mission in the hardest moments, in those most crucial, difficult conversations. He's with us. When I left my 18-year-old daughter in Rwanda for her internship, one of the hardest things I've ever done, leaving your daughter in East Africa by herself. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I was bawling my eyes out. I told this story already. But, but this thing, this part of the story, bawling my eyes out, I'm sure I was talking to myself more than her, but I was like, you're not alone. I'm leaving you, but you're not alone. There's other Rwandan Christians around you, but guess what? Jesus is right here. He's with you in this work. So on World Mission Sunday, friends, disciples, brothers and sisters, let us remember afresh the mission that we're on, the enormity of it, our 11-ishness, but that we have everything we need because he has sent us and he is with us. So let's get back on mission. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.